episode 412 a virus life support and coming out the other side charles gardner the awaken your alpha podcast Hi, I'm Adam Lewis Walker, founder of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one personal leadership network that is also a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tows and Tactics to Thrive, and also a TEDx talk, Awaken Your Alpha, How to Rise Up. You can see a theme here, but please do check these out. If you like the talk, if you like the podcast, you will love the book. The book is the best of the best, and it's available on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by The Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talkaccelerator.com. How to secure and smash your own TEDx talk. Get to the podcast. This week is all about remembering this moment and making the most of things. We have Charlie Gardner on the line. He's an author of two books, Always Remember This Moment, which is a book, his experiences of contracting a virus, falling into a coma. Ultimately, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, his family turning off that life support machine and some of the experiences around that. He's also got a more recent book, You Got This. We're going to dive into all and everything about that. But firstly, Charlie, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I'm living I, on borrowed time. So I was going to say, yes, de- definitely must be awakened after that. So is there anything you'd like to add or highlight to that very brief introduction? At this point in my career, the, the latest book I got this is about uh, short stories of my construction career. And about a year and a half ago, <clears throat> I spent 30 years in California. I grew up here in Tennessee, but I wanted to retire and move back to Tennessee. So I did that thinking I was going to retire. But I kind of screwed up. I bought a new bass boat and I bought a new truck. I go, well, maybe I need to go back to work to pay for it. <laughs> so the I did. It's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did. And I'm, I'm working again and, you know, I try to get away, but they keep dragging me back in. And uh, I tell all my friends, this is the last job. This is it. And uh, they go, yeah, we've heard that before. So <laughs> <laughs> if you don't remember me asking, how old are you, Charlie? 64 years old. Okay. Starting to look at, you know, Medicare and all that kind of retirement type stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm just having too much fun. Yeah. Well, that's just the fun. thing as well. Sometimes it feels like society's things like, oh, you, it's time to retire now. And you're like, well, you know, if you can earn great money and you, you're kind of very niched in, you're very good at what you do at that point, you know, it's, and if you're yeah. having fun. And you know what they say, if, 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 if you're having fun at what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life. Exactly. Yeah. So I get up, I get up in the morning. I look forward to coming in and, tackling the challenges and you know <laughs> i like to say i have a set thing i want to do this and this and this and then if i get to one of those three i've had a good day because usually oh my, it's like drinking from a fire hose it's <laughs> a lot of fun awesome um i mean there was a bit of a hint in the introduction about you and your sort of scenario but just tell us your origins where you kind of touched on where you're originally from but what did you want to be growing up and then also I'm going to ask you about your kind of your awakening moment where you feel like you had to awaken your alpha to survive. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and this is a good segue setup into this. I grew up in the foothills of the Appalachian mountains in Southeastern Tennessee, right outside Chattanooga, Tennessee, a little mountain called Signal mountain. And while I was growing up, it was in a lot of social unrest, a lot like what there's going on today, a lot of protests, a lot of violence in the streets and, you know, the government coming in and shooting people on college campuses, and Martin Luther King getting assassinated. And, you know, it was just a, 
a time of social upheaval, social change. But I was going to a private school here in Chattanooga called Macaulay School. And I remember as a young kid, uh, I would look up and they would have the stars of the sports field uh, tacked up on the walls of the gymnasium. And I was in sports. My mom was a single mom raising four boys in the South on nothing more than like a finishing school education. And she would tell us that you boys are all going to go to college. You will pay for it yourself. And the avenue that she found was through sports. Uh, we were all very athletic uh, of the four boys. I tended to be the athlete of the family. We had a local sports hero in the, in the city. And he had set that junior high school pole vaulting record. And that stood for 15 years. And as a young kid, I'm looking at that and I'm going, I want to be, I got to go. I'm going to beat that record. Oh, I love and it. So I worked hard. I worked hard. Finally, the day came. I was, you know, I got up to the goal. I tied it and they set it like two inches higher. And, you know, it, it, and I understand you're an old pole vaulter yourself. Well, I, was say, I should have mentioned that in this introduction, but, you know, I can just go off talking about pole vault for the whole episode. Oh, but, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But no, I had a, I, my brother was ahead of me a couple of years. He broke the town sport sort of like a pole vault record. I was behind him a couple of years. I broke his record. So I know exactly yeah. <laughs> what years. Oh, a similar deal. So I worked, I set it up two inches higher. You know, you get three tries. I missed the first two. The third try, I hit the bar and it jingled and stood. And I set the record. And my name got to go up on the gymnasium. And, and that was just, you know, it was something like you work hard for a goal, you meet the goal. It's just the jubilation was so great. My record held in the gymnasium for 15 years. And the guy who eventually broke my record was the son of the guy whose record I broke. <laughs> so, <laughs> back in the family. <laughs> back in the family. Dang it. So, you know, I, I, my son's in California. I don't think he's going to come here to set, try to pole vault. But, <laughs> but, you know, but what, what that did is that later on, working in construction, and uh, I decided I didn't want to be an old guy dragging, you know, bags of tools up a ladder when I'm 50 or something. So I decided to go back to school and work towards my degree in civil engineering. I uh, went to work in uh, civil engineering in, in, uh, in California, and the, um, which led up to uh, years of alcohol abuse, drug abuse. Uh, it, it almost killed me just that. Uh, but I got, you know, I got to a point where I had to do something about that. And 23 years ago, I was able to get sober. So it, if, when I asked the kind of the awakening question, it sounds like there's going to be almost like two very key moments in your life, obviously getting kind of sober and getting over that side of things. And yep. then the virus we kind of mentioned about and sort of yeah. always remember this moment. So, I mean, let's dive into that. If, would you consider those as kind of your two key kind of like wake up moments? So, you know, I get sober and I'm working and life's getting together. I get married, got a couple kids, life's good. California, where I was living at the time, there's earthquakes every day. And sometimes you have little ones that you don't even notice. Uh, I said, in fact, the days I'm writing on June 17th or whatever, there were 17 earthquakes that day. Whoa. But you don't even feel them. Yeah. In the miracle department, there's the same thing. Miracles happening all around us, all the time. Sometimes we notice, sometimes we don't. For, like, for instance, did that red light that lasted a little bit longer keep me out of that accident that just happened up ahead of me. 
Was there a divine force that in, in, involved? Uh, for me, uh, I was going to a safety meeting on a Saturday morning and I had a head-on collision on a place called Devil's Slide, which is thousand foot above the ocean. And this guy came across the line and I did the wrong thing and tried to miss him. And he popped off the line head on collision and his, you know, Ram 2500 was bigger than my F-150 and picked me up and slid me back to K-Rail 12 feet as I'm looking a thousand feet down at the water thinking this is it, I'm done. Obviously, I, I you know, when I, I came down on the right side, survived that, but I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, had I gone a little bit earlier, a little bit later, I would have missed this guy. Uh, same thing in, in, in lots of miracles. And then, you know, it ties into always remember this moment. I got a call. We had a family reunion back here in Tennessee. And I came back for the reunion. And But I called him and I said, look, uh, my brother called said, hey, the football player, he calls, hey, you're coming back for this reunion, right? I go, yeah, I got a, I got a bit of the flu, but since it's a family reunion, I'll be there. Little did I know I was already going from flu into pneumonia. And I came back and we had, you know, I had a nice weekend. I played golf and, you know, I did the family reunion thing. I went to get on the plane to go back and I went into a blackout. And I woke up six weeks later. Oh my God. I got on, I missed the first flight. Somehow I got on the second flight to San Francisco and I contracted what's called sepsis. It's a it's a, uh, a virus similar to coronavirus, but it's a bloodborne uh, disease that attacks your good cells in your system. And, and in fighting it off, I went into a coma. They say in, in sepsis is like coronavirus. There's no known cure. There's no vaccine. Uh, uh, you, they say usually if you catch it in the first four hours, you've got a one in four chance of survival after four hours, nearly always fatal. Well, I flew on the plane all the way to San Francisco and wandered around in the parking garage in San Francisco International for 26 hours before somebody called 911 and got me to the hospital and kept me in an induced coma at that point. And they just take you and put you in the corner and wait for you to die. You know, they pump you full of morphine. Just finding my family was a miracle in itself. Yeah. They uh, they did a, what they call a wallet biopsy. They took my wallet, found a business card, called my company. And of course, with all the HIPAA, HISA rules, you know, they said, well, we can give you human resources. And I had left my nearest contact closest of kin was my mom who had passed away two years ago. I had updated my contact. Oh my goodness. So it was, and there was a little scene that's in the book of their, uh, their, their, the, the division manager and the district manager and the, and, uh, and their uh, executive assistants are all sitting around. And my boss is going, I know he's got family back in Tennessee, but I don't know how to get a hold of him. So it's, it's a good yeah. wake up to, uh, you know, make sure your contact information is up to date and maybe in your wallet. Yeah. Uh, how old were you at this point? 56. 56. And the, uh, the executive secretary goes, wait a minute. He was at the company stockholders dinner last year with his Russian girlfriend and maybe uh, uh, she's on the uh, the, sign the uh, attendee list and they looked her up. Yep, there's the list, there's the name. They found her on Facebook and that happened to have a work number for her. So they called her, she happened to be at work. And so she found me and came up to Peninsula, <laughs> presents herself at the door 
And they say, well, who are you? Well, I'm his wife. And they, oh, he left explicit instructions not to let his wife. Be. Oh, I'm his second wife. That's his first wife. I'm <laughs> really thinking of her opinion. <laughs> and then the word gets out and the family comes in. Right as I'm just about to die. I mean, I, I, I had 13 strokes. Uh, everything was going down, 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 down. And eventually my, you know, after and my family's going well let's just wait and see what happens he's not dead yet and, yeah and it and it got to the point to where you know i had complete out-of-body experience that you hear and see about on tv i was floating up on the roof looking down and floating around in the room i followed my best friend roger down to the cafeteria doing the whole ghost thing hey can you see me can you see me nothing and um get back to them i'll go back in my body and uh, and, and as it got to several weeks later, it got to the point where they lost brainwave activity and my lungs were just about shot and the family had to make the traumatic decision to pull the plug. And on July 25th, 2011, they pulled the plug. And that was about six weeks later, was it? Or Yeah. So wow. to spare the suspense, I did not die. <laughs> no, spoiler, we're speaking today. Yeah, spoiler. Man, it's an absolute privilege to speak to you and I'm just glad you're here. That's, yeah. Wow. But obviously, I, you know, yeah. Tell me what technically medically happened. What the hell happened? <laughs> How are you? Well, still here? The doctors really had no clue. Um, I was flying around and got back in my body. And then I got to a point where I had the white light experience that you hear about, see about on TV. And a lot of it was kind of what is presented and what you've heard of near death experiences. And, you know, I find myself, I'm floating up towards this light. And, but it wasn't a white light. It was more like a green disco ball. But I realized, <laughs> you know, why is this not burning my eyes? This is, and I went, wait a minute, I'm dying. Why am I dying? What's happened? And, and I had a couple of helpers. I call them angels. I mean, you call them what you want, but, yeah. and they were you know, doing what angels do. Hey, don't worry about it, dude. You're going to be okay. Pretty soon you're not going to feel any pain. You're going to be at peace. And, and, and I'm a born again Christian. I said, okay, well, I know where I'm going to go. So I'm good with that. And just all of a sudden it came over me a sense of peace and comfort that I've never felt before. And as I start getting up close to the light, there was such a tremendous amount of energy. I couldn't bear to look at it or I'm trying to kind of look around to see my dead mom and grandparents. And, but I, all of a sudden I heard my daughter crying, dad, dad, please don't go. Who's going to, who's, who's, you told me you were going to give me a, my high school diploma since you were on the school board. Who's going to walk me down the aisle when I get married? Dad, please don't go. And I heard that. I know some kind of transaction took place. And so I turned around and got in the wormhole, like we see on wormholes on TV. 30 seconds later, I wake up. The, uh, uh, the timeline on that side of the fence is different than the timeline on this side of the fence. For me, my experience is like 30 seconds. In reality, my daughter, cause they brought the kids in to say, I had twins that were 14 at the time. Oh, that's pretty oh, traumatic event. Yeah. But uh, they brought the kids in to say goodbye cause they're gonna pull the plug in the morning. And my daughter had been coming in for six weeks precocious 14 year old telling her mom, mom, I'm not going to talk to dad until he can talk back, mm. you know, sassy girl. But when it came time to say goodbye, you know, my, my, my wife told him, look, this is your last chance. You got to say something to dad. And she cracked wide open. And, um, 
So as she was begging me not to go, she tells her mom, 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 come quick. Dad's waking up. Dad's waking up because I stopped. My eyes started fluttering because, because I could hear her and we had that connection. And, uh, but for me, 30 seconds for them, it was a week and a half. It took that long for my eyes to open. And then I started tracking around and then zoom, I'm back. When I Is got that back, after they turned the, the machine off? Is... Yeah, they turned the machine off. I kept breathing. They hooked me back up partially, but let me breathe on my own. Yep. And so that started the process of me coming back. And a week and a half later, boom, I'm there. There's my now former wife and my Russian girlfriend, both in my face. Hey, look, he's awake. <laughs> and they said I had the most surprised look on my face. Like, oh, my God, I died and I went to the wrong place. I'm going to be <laughs> tortured for eternity. <laughs> but oh you want to talk about awakening my alpha, man. I mean, it was like being born all over again, like being a little baby. Because I had to learn to do everything over. I mean, because I've been, you know, in a coma for six weeks. I've been atrophied. I, uh, you know, had bone spurs from laying too long. They had to keep moving me. I had to, you know, my biggest first event was raising my little pinky finger. And that was like a two hour workout. Whoa. How was, Every how was your mindset? Like right in, were you obviously, were you super glad or super frustrated or how was it your, your initial approach? Cause I mean, looking back is different to when you're in it and you can't move. Um, how did you feel? You know, uh, <laughs> more miracles than I could even describe, but it was like back when I was in junior high school with that goal of setting the pole vault record. I had a record I wanted to be able to get up and walk and get out of the hospital. Um, the, the doctors were all asking, what is your goal? What do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm very active in the recovery program. And I go to this place in Yosemite every year for a national summit conference. I said, I want to be, a, and I started a meeting up there 20 some odd years ago. I want to be able to walk up there to this meeting at Mirror Lake and participate in that meeting. That's my goal. And to me, that was a, you know, phenomenal, you know, milestone to be able to get up, walk and drive a car and do all the things that normal people do. But I took the same mindset that I did back when I was trying to overcome and make this goal to win the, the pole vault. What do you feel, if any, I mean, what is, do you feel is the, the, the big difference in you or changes to your mindset in terms of pre this coma and obviously the experience and post I'm a lot more uh, or less materialistic I mean before it was all about making the money and getting ahead and business and you know that was my measure of success and who I was you know the post is like hey I've been given a, a you know a, a real gift here and it's like going from uh, you know, when I, when I first got sober 20 some odd years ago, I had a sponsor who said, make a list of the things you want to have come true in your life. Then think outside the box, bigger, the better. Great. And of course I've got a big ego and, you know, I was, I wrote down stuff like I want to make a million dollars. I want to buy a house in Lake Tahoe, you know, all these material things I wanted to have come true. About six years into that deal, I was able to call my sponsor. I said, look, I just bought a house in Lake Tahoe, all 10 of those things have come true. What do I do now? Mm. He said, make a new list. Huh, okay. So the new list that I made was a lot more um, giving, like uh, enjoying in philanthropy, give back to the community, get involved in public service, 
those things are giving back because I've been given so much. Now, I must say that that first list that I made, yeah, I made a million bucks, but it didn't have anything to do about losing it all in the dot-com bust and learning how to be broke again. So when I faced later here just recently when the stock market crashed in the coronavirus deal, I had the attitude, well, you know, I've been broke before. No big deal. Guys, we'll get through this. You know, today is what is all we have is today. Yesterday's gone. It's not going to be back again. Tomorrow's not here yet. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. So as long as I stay in the present, I do okay. You know. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love it. And that's, that's why I'm really happy to have you on the show. I mean, it sounds like in giving back and doing things that are not so materialistic is maybe when the book Always Remember This Moment come along. So when did you write that? And when was the thought, right, I've got to put this out there. And then obviously you've got the, the second book as well. You got this. So talk to us a little bit about that process. Because I know writing a book from experience is not easy, especially if it's a decent book. <laughs> it's not easy. I mean, people can put out a book, an ebook in like a couple of weeks. But, right. you know, I know that's not this. <laughs> Good question, because it took a while because as I was rehashing and telling my story, all my friends and family said, man, you got to write about this. There's too many miracles in here. You got to write about this. And I just put it off and put it off. And, and finally came to a point where I had a little lull and uh, I, I had some latent illnesses. I had hepatitis C that I'd gotten from my youth, but I knew I needed to take care of that. I'm sober. I don't want to die of a bad liver. So it took six months and I said, you know what? I think I'll write the book. So I write this book. I always remember this moment. You know, it gets uh, it gets some uh, some interest and some acclaim, and it sells a few copies. But I, I'm not in it to make money selling a book. It's telling the story. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. I mean, if you had to sum it up, kind of in a in a paragraph, is it all about that experience, or is it specifically always? Is it about being present, or what is kind of the concept? If you're like going to pitch it to publishers, kind of thing, what's kind of the sum up? Uh, in, in the paragraph or less, it, it's about a journey through life and recognizing the miracles that happen throughout life and going through some big miracles that just slapped me in the face. And what year was it that you wrote that? Uh, that was two years ago. Two years ago. What was the hardest part in getting that out ultimately? Where was the biggest challenge or did it, did it flow or was more realistically probably there was a point where it was a real challenge to get that out or did it just well i had i had a good uh good friend uh, a guy by the name of steve arterburn who was a uh, uh one of these uh well-known televangelist he's not a televangelist but he's he's got this uh, group called new life ministries that they do uh, radio and tv uh syndicated programs mm -hmm. to help people with relationship issues and and it's christian based and He's written like 80 books and I was, uh, I was in the, uh, we went to Israel together with the New Life Group and, and I went out, asked him, I said, Steve, you've written like 80 books. I mean, I've got this story I, I need to tell, what do I do? He goes, well, do you, you've got an outline, don't you? And I go, yeah. He goes, fill it in. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it, but he kind of gave me some guy, I got a publisher early on, good friend of mine that's a graphic artist that could do, you know, put it all together once I, I got it done. And of course, the first book I had a ghostwriter because I slept through most of the book. Um, mm. the, uh, and uh, so they did interviews of all the people around me, what it was like going through that experience, how to deal with trauma uh, and all of that. And then uh, so that and we self-published on, on Amazon. And uh, uh, the second book, 
that, uh, once again, friends are saying, Charlie, you've got all these stories that you tell of your experiences and you've got to write a book about that stuff. And this is the one that is largely uh, focused on your experience in the construction industry and in the no, project it's, management. It's, yeah. it's called, I got this because it's a reflection of, you know, the, the high octane, high testosterone. Yeah. You know, I love the sound of this because of you, like you say, a lot of guys are just regardless whether they've got it or not, or if, yeah. The smart thing is to have help. They're just like, I got this. And that's I got it. <laughs> no matter it, it, what. <laughs> it actually is kind of, I got this exclamation point, you know. Oh, and, I love it. Love it. What a and, concept. The, uh, and, 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 and that goes kind of in parallel, but it's not about the near-death experience, although it, that's one of the chapters because that's one of the experiences. But the, uh, the I got this started with, you know, a little, you know, the first day out of high school. Uh, me and a buddy drive all night long to get to Houston, Texas to show up to our first job. And we get our assignment, go see Johnny across the job site here in the trailer. He'll give you, you know, your work activities. And walking over, this lady pulls up in a white Nash Rambler, jumps out of her car, brandishes a big 357 Magnum pistol, shoots a guy right next to us. Boom! Picks him up. Blood goes everywhere. We're a couple of 17-year-old kids. We're just going, oh, my God, what's, what do we get ourselves into? Of course, they shut down the job, and we all go over to a bar across the street, and I had my first Lone Star beer. And there's a grizzled old Texan sitting there at the bar. I'd been there probably 50 years. Looks like he's had the bad side of a sandstorm. He looks up at me and goes, welcome to Texas, boy. <laughs> oh, God. So and that cool. wasn't in the movie. You sure that happened? That's crazy. <laughs> oh, and it's, I mean, that's just day so one. What, what on earth? What was that about then? Did you ever, like, what was the detail? Like, it just... turns out that the guy was late and not paying his alimony. And the lady figured out that if she's not getting the money, nobody else is. And that was, I understand that to be just a form of Texas justice. Oh, my God. That's all that happened. I mean, how, was the, how did that relate to fear? 17-year-old kids... You don't know what's going on. You don't know if it's literally going to be like pop, 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 like all three of you done. How was you, your thoughts? How scared were you? And, and what was your thoughts at that time? Well, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say on the radio or TV that, you know, I soiled my britches, but I soiled my britches. Yeah. <laughs> but that, it's just indicative of yeah. all the, I mean, wild stuff. In terms of like the, the title, you got this, or I got this. What do you feel is one of the most ridiculous? Ridiculous stories where a guy or a gal has gone, I got this, when clearly they haven't, and it's gone a bit wrong. Did any of them really oh. fit? <laughs> Which one jumps to mind? Or <laughs> You know what? That happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, there are people that, that try to, you know, use their ego to get through stuff. Because a lot of it is uh, you're looking at stuff that maybe you haven't done before. You, I've, I've, many a day I'm walking, I have no clue how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to get it done some way, so, you know come hell or high water. And in fact, if you look at the cover of the book, it was about a project that we were uh, it was using a new technique uh, called Rapid Bridge. And it's in, in Idaho where they love the Rapid Bridge. We started this program of where you build a bridge off to the side of the road up on you know, a trestle and it's all pre-made and built. And then over the course of the weekend, you just stop traffic you demolish the abutments and use these big heavy lifting machines to pull the bridge into place and set it down. And over the course of one weekend, you got a bridge set without having to divert traffic and have traffic control for a year and a half and those sort of things that really gum up the works and saves a bunch of money and a bunch of time. 
And I was the lead estimator on that. And I went into it and said, how in the hell am I gonna do this? But I'm gonna do it some way, come hell or high water. And we had the executives in the company that would come in and goes, well, we know how to move big things. And that just gave me enough to go. But I had several people said, no, I know how to do this. I can figure it out and just fail miserably. And I could see how they fail miserably. I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, I could give a hundred examples of, you know, we had a new vice president that sold his, uh, his wares and then, oh, I can help estimate anything. We got a call from the Navy. They had an emergency bid for a Trident training uh, missile uh, that uh, they wanted to train the new Navy recruits on how to operate the new Trident submarine. So you have a half of a sub and you're building a, building onto the side of it to have classrooms and hands-on stuff. And they had uh, defaulted the contractor that was building it halfway through because they weren't performing, asked us to come in and give us, give them a price in three days. Uh, and I went in with this new vice president and he just, I got it, I can do this. And a day into it, I'm calling the president of the company say, you gotta get this guy out of here. He doesn't know what, you know, he doesn't know his ass in the hole in the ground. <laughs> He goes, can you run it? And I said, yeah, but I'm going to need some help. I mean, you yeah. know, I don't do enough. Important I, to ask for help. I yeah. I don't know. So well, we're going to start wrapping this up now with the alpha round. And I mean, it sounds like some of that stuff is definitely quote worthy, but is there a particular favorite quote of yours that just kind of sums up your approach to life? You know, one thing that I was always told through this is to keep the faith. that something good is going to come out of this, whether you think it's good or not. Uh, I put it in kind of spiritual terms that God has a plan for you and it is a good plan. I got to see that when I was on the other side. So, and apart from your books, is there a particular book recommendation that is really impactful for you or you just read it at the right time or just a favorite all time book that you, you really like? And I'm going to take the Bible off the table because I know that that sounds like that could be coming out. So I'll go the whole other side of that realm. It's one of my favorites of all time, Stephen King, The Stand. When it talks about a virus that kills everybody but 5% of the people on earth. And, uh, and it's about the forces of good versus evil. And if people want to continue the conversation and grab your books, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, probably through my website. Uh, www.charlesgardnerauthor.com. C-H-A-R-L-E-S-G-A-R-D-N-E-R-A-U-T-H-O-R.com. And that takes you to both books, uh, some background. I've got a few podcasts I'm going to be populating on there. And um, the, uh, uh, or you can go to Barnes and Noble and, and find the books. Yeah. I, I we'll don't put the link. We'll put all the links in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Very good. Perfect. Well, Charles, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed it. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. This podcast is brought to you by The Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talkaccelerator.com. The Talk Accelerator program, how to secure and smash your own TEDx talk. You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. What is your idea worth sharing? I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to speak with you very soon.